Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to a fresh edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Nunes, and I'm still alongside my guruest of all gurus, if that's even a way to describe it. And we are back, guys. We are back. We're in office, in studio, socially distanced, of course. You can't see us, but we are abiding by all the rules, and we're absolutely fizzing. This is not caffeine we're on. We're still probably like running from adrenaline from the race that we just saw in Austria. What an absolute race it was. I mean, from two penalties affecting Lewis Hamilton to protests filed over the weekend to Lando Norris on a freaking podium. Woo. I mean, guys, woo! Nate is just absolutely buzzing. Nate, let's start with you because we did not see this coming. And how good is it to have this race to welcome us back to Formula One? Yeah, it's amazing because if, if we've been sat here talking about Lewis winning again, I think... Selling Steady. next week's race and selling the championship would have been quite <laughs> difficult. So the fact we can talk about you know, Bottas, which we'll get into, but Norris on the podium, you know, I love it when, I mean, we all love it when there's a, a, a random guy on the podium. And, and a random good guy. Yeah, and, and, you know, Lando is a really endearing guy and he's, you know, we've spoken to him on the podcast before. You obviously spoke to him with me at the, the launch of McLaren earlier this year and he's just, it's, it's very difficult to dislike Lando Norris and it's not just a guy who is good fun to be without the car, he's actually very talented as well, so... Yeah, the whole the whole story at McLaren is just great at the moment. You know, there's there's clearly steps forward being made, and um, yeah, I mean, we were we were all watching this kind of on the same row in the office, socially distanced, as you said. We were just I, at the end, I just lost any professionalism. I was just screaming, Lando, you know, for Lando, because we'd already had Al- Albon was ruined. You know, we had that that could have been mm. the story. So for Lando to get it, I think salvaged the race. Great way, for, great way to start the season. It felt like eight months of not racing, just kind of all bottled up into this amazing race. It was superb. Really, really fun. Lawrence's emails are going off. We literally had to pry him away from his laptop just to quickly do this podcast because there's still so much going on, Lawrence. But amazing race, wasn't it? It was incredible. I think Nate's absolutely right. That's what I was going to say. It felt like that hiatus in the season that we had, all the things that might have happened in that time of protest and McLaren podium, (laughs) uh, Lewis penalties, you know, hitting Albon. It felt like most of the things that happened last season happened in one afternoon. Uh, in that race so yeah it was it was thrilling to watch and um, considering where we were kind of I don't know what it was maybe uh, 30 laps in or so and it looked a bit like Mercedes were running away with it and Valtteri had a comfortable lead over Lewis and Max had already dropped out and we were like oh well this is what F1 2020 looks like but then it took us by surprise and yeah I guess that's why we love the sports why we keep coming back well I said to you didn't I when Max when Max's car slowed down I just turned to to Lawrence and I said well that's the rate you know that's it done because it didn't look like anyone was going to beat those two guys and then it sometimes happens in Formula 1. We see that there'll be the tiniest little spark and then it just, all, all sorts of mayhem comes out of it. And those two safety car periods at the end, yeah, I'd love to watch it again because I, I was writing the report afterwards and I'd forgotten half the stuff that happened before the end. Superb. Couldn't stop talking about it. Well, I mean, let's get straight into it then now and, and in terms of specifics because like you said, I mean, the question that we were asking before we got into this break and season is, would we see this, you know, the pause that we had because of the coronavirus pandemic affect, you know, any of the drivers or any of the team that could probably chase down Mercedes in this one? We know that we spoke with Nate too, and he said that this was Verstappen territory, so he was definitely a favorite going into this. But let's shed some light and some love on Valtteri Bottas, because what a race and pressure he had to soak up, you know, to do it. And I know everyone might still be like, well, still Mercedes wins, so no shock there. But Bottas, absolutely brilliant, wasn't he? Well, I was saying to Nate, um, he had the kind of weekend that you might expect Lewis to have had you know, mm. in the previous years. And Lewis had a weekend almost like Bottas has, where little things go wrong. If you look at Lewis's weekend, obviously in qualifying, uh, you know, he got caught out. That turned into a penalty, which moved him back and all that kind of stuff. And um, whereas Valtteri was the guy who was consistent at the front, 
under huge pressure, didn't put a foot wrong. Um, I don't know how both of those Mercedes drivers dealt with all those radio calls about their gearbox about to implode <laughs> yeah. uh, and staying off the curbs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, okay, for Lewis, it's a little bit of an easier situation because you're chasing the guy in front, so you're putting the pressure on. For Valtteri, he's got to stay off the curbs, keep an eye on Lewis, make sure that he's getting the gap so that he's not under danger in DRS. It was a incredible performance from uh, from Bossas, but. Um, yeah, thankfully, the Mercedes, okay, I'm not going to mince my words, it looks ridiculously quick. It yeah. looks like we could turn off at this track again next week and it disappears into the distance. But, um, yeah, th- there was some promise as well from the other teams and no one, none of us, predicted that podium. I think I had Bottas to win and I think I had Leclerc third, but I didn't predict yeah. Norris or, or really I didn't honestly mm. think Leclerc was going to be on the podium. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna hand to, to, to Lawrence here because I think it was the, the prediction that you actually then went against in our preview show. Yeah, you said right. Norris for a surprise podium and and the yes. reasoning was fair because all the street circuits have gone now from this calendar and that looked like mclaren's best chance but uh, you know i think i think you can still take that one because I'll take um, it, yeah. yeah i'll yeah. take what i can get yeah. yeah i mean and and to be honest i'd i'd back per- i'd back perez as my surprise podium but i was rooting for lando at the end you know i think that that was definitely the one that you know people wanted to see um yeah on the, on the on the mercedes drivers controlling things at the front if my radio isn't working in the car i have to pull over turn the like i have to stop and play with it like so the f- the stuff they're able to do in the car at the front, Bottas managing that, all sorts of things happening behind him. It's pretty insane, you know, when you actually think about the, the stuff that's going on. So would you say this is Bottas's best win? He's had a few where he's been pretty impressive. This one seemed like the most happened maybe behind him. Yeah, like uh, I'd, I'd have to go back for him, but I, you know, off the top of my head, I, I think that really was, it's, it's up there. And um, it's so important as well to get that win early in the year. Okay, he did it last year, didn't work out in the long run, did it? But with this shorter season and everything, like we were talking about in the last podcast, the result, every result counts even more. And mm-hmm. so Lewis to lose those points, Valtteri to get that upper hand, to get the pole position as well, and then come back to the same track, a track that he's always loved, and do it all again a week later, it puts him in a great position for, uh, for the start of the championship. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Where does his name fall in this one now in terms of getting the championship? Because like I said, there's still so much unknown. We don't know how many you know races we're going to eventually have Nay, of course just said earlier that you know they probably will aim for around 15 or so so you want to get off to the best start possible and Bottas definitely could not have asked for a better one so where does this put him in that conversation now according to you guys I think the thing we've always said with Bottas is he can do this every so often he can pull it out maybe once in every three or four races and it was he, he there was a revelation after the race um a co- colleague of ours Ben Hunt asked him he's been eating a lot of pancakes recently <laughs> instead of porridge <laughs> Um, and well, he said he's been mixing them now. Well, no, porridge so, and pancakes. So this is um, his new girlfriend. Uh, so the porridge is in the pancakes. So right. she uses a porridge mix to make pancakes. And he had that this morning. He put it up on Instagram. And we all know that he likes his coffee as well. So mm. I think he had it with a nice uh, Brazilian blend of yeah. coffee or something Ew. like that. Well, Bottas has been whatever caught, it is working for him. Yeah, he's been caught chewing gum whilst drinking coffee as well, which I think is oh. one of the biggest sins going. Wow. But, but we'll forgive him for that. Um, it's clearly working. But yeah, well, but I, I think next week will be fascinating to watch Bottas and see how he drives because if he comes to that weekend and is able to beat Lewis in qualifying, you might start to think, well, maybe maybe he has taken that step forward. The thing that we've seen before is he'll have a great weekend and then Lewis will you know, will arrive and know that he has to beat Bottas and step step his game up. And then Bottas, like Lawrence said, kind of has one of those weekends where a lot of things go against him. So I'm ho- hopefully, from the championship perspective, Bottas comes and nails it again next year, uh, next weekend because then we'd really be like, well, bot- this Bottas 2.0, I don't know what Bottas point we're on now. It must be five or six. <laughs> well, we were told it's 3.0 in pre-season testing, so maybe 3.1 by now. Yeah, there's been an upgrade. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe that is actually one to get to get hyped about, but I'm going to wait a little while before I start properly hyping him up. 
And the other thing to remember about Lewis is that he's always at his best when his back's up against the wall and he's made to fight. So uh, I think Lewis will take everything that's happened this weekend and uh, he'll be able to use it as motivation to come back even stronger next week, which is the problem Bottas and any teammate of Lewis always has, is that if you beat him, you know the next weekend he's going to come back even stronger. I was just saying that because I was saying that a family member of mine at least like, sent me a text and said, oh, I just saw Lewis came in fourth. At least that's still kind of good. Fair play there. Also just getting into Formula One. And I was like, fourth by the name of Lewis Hamilton is not a good thing. I'm sure it is not sitting well with him and burning him inside. But that's what I was saying. Let's, I mean, spare a thought for Lewis now and everything that's just gone on this weekend from, you know, the penalty for not slowing down at the yellow flag and then that pushing him to start on the grid at fifth to then now the, the another clash with Alex Albon, which was so unfortunate for Alex Albon as as well but we'll get to Alex in a bit just thoughts on just I guess the whole weekend for Lewis yeah it, it's it's rare we get to speak about such a bad weekend for him um and it did seem that yeah the album one was weird because you could see it happening the moment before it happened you knew they were going to collide and when you I've only seen it twice since I don't know it's it's a hard one like from both different angles it looks a bit different but just one of those weekends I think that you've got to remember we always forget that Lewis is human sometimes because yeah. he has these incredible weekends and the point I made in our preview show about a shorter season, this is where maybe it is a bit a bit significant. And if he has a few more weekends like this, he has less time to make up the lost yeah. ground. So we'll see, you know, if, if if this becomes something that happens again next weekend, Bottas maybe starts to get a bit of a lead. And that's what Rosberg did in 2016. He got a big lead over Lewis. And Lewis then was very good, but just couldn't quite chip into that gap the same way. So not no reason for alarms, but yeah, certainly certainly not something we're used to seeing. Um, yeah, I, I would also say Lewis's pace in the race. He looked mm-hmm. like he was, you know, the fastest driver out there. How much was Bottas managing it? Not entirely sure. I'm sure he was to some extent. But I think uh, if Lewis rolls reverse, Lewis would have just driven away from him, you know, in that race. Uh, had had he got, you know, ahead of him at the start or something like that, had he not had the penalty, uh, had Bottas not gone out in qualifying. So it's all these little things that built up. Um, just on the Albon-Hamilton one, I personally thought that was a racing incident. I didn't think that mm. was worthy of a penalty um, uh, because if you're going to put your car on the outside like that, around a corner like turn four and gravel's right there, then there's always a danger that um, you know, you, you're know you going to get hit off. I haven't actually seen the video from Lewis's uh, on board or I haven't uh, studied it in detail, which might change my mind. But from what I saw, it looked like Lewis kind of had a fairly normal amount of steering lock on throughout the corner was taking the line he was taking and Albon was the guy who would put his car right around the outside. The other way people are going to argue it is that Albon was um, already ahead and mm-hmm. uh, and he's entitled to take overtake drivers around the outside. That's what makes F1 exciting. But for me, I feel like neither of them were to blame. It was a racing incident. Albon definitely wasn't to blame. Lewis, I think, you know, was taking the corner as he was entitled to do. It's maybe where some experience comes in as well because I remember we spoke about in China in 2018 when Verstappen threw the lead away, the win away, and Ricardo won. Verstappen was, it was on Lewis as well, like really rashly tried to get past him. He didn't really, he had better tyres, could have waited a couple of corners and got past Hamilton. When that was happening, I thought, Albon doesn't need to immediately attack Lewis here. You know, he, he's going to get past him with those tyres. He probably could have waited, you know, it's a, it's a quick lap, and he would have had turn one, he would have had turn two again on the next lap. And it's easy to say that, you know, you can't just back off a guy. But maybe he was over-eager to get past him. That would be my only criticism of what Albon did. But like, like Lawrence said, he's completely entitled to go around the outside. And um, it was interesting, Lewis speaking to the TV after, he didn't, it wasn't quite the same as Brazil where he said, he apologised and said it was yeah. completely my fault. But what he did say was, I'll accept any penalty they give me and move on from it. So I think he appreciated that, you know, he's not completely blameless in it. And he said it was unbelievable it was Albon again. Like he said, he couldn't believe that that, that part of it 
because um, he's, he's cost the guy two podium finishes now, which is yeah. insane. Uh, Toto, however, Toto Wolf, Mercedes team principal, uh, was just in a press conference and, and he did not believe it should have been a penalty. He was quite strong on that. And usually, uh, because, you know, if these things happen, uh, the teams don't particularly want to become the story and start, you know, pointing out the FIA because it's a really hard job to call these, these incidents. But um, he was quite clear that he felt it, it shouldn't have been a penalty. I don't think that means that they're going to uh, protest it or anything like that. Mm. But um, it was a clear signal that um, they felt that uh, Lewis hadn't done anything wrong. All right, well, we've definitely spoken a lot about Valsery, talked about Lewis a lot. But the person who we thought we probably would be talking about at a length was Max Verstappen in this one. Like I said, we did have him as a favourite coming into this, especially after reading Nate's article. I hope everyone read it. <laughs> <laughs> I did have to plug it. But... I mean, again, absolute nightmare. What was it, lap 11, I believe it was, when it just looked like the car completely just lost power and he just went straight off. Not a word to be said, but it's true. What what, what can you say about that? Yeah, I think that did seem like it was the end of the race at that point from an entertainment point of view. Um, they put themselves in a good position to at least get between the Mercedes, but it's fascinating to think where Verstappen would have been at the end there mm. if that had all played out in the same way. Red Bull could have, in theory, had two cars attacking and trying to get through two Mercedes cars that were trying to, they were staying off the curbs. They've been told, you know, to look after the cars, yeah. gearbox critical. So Red Bull, in theory, if Verstappen had still been there, it might have been a different race. Who knows? But um, yeah, I, I think two I mean, and three probably. Well, <laughs> imagine if it had been Verstappen and not Albon making that move on Lewis. I feel like he would have made it work somehow. You know, he mm. he wouldn't have got tagged and he would have found a different way to, to work it. Not, well, not, would, not, not, would, not to play down Albon too much, but Max is that good at overtaking. Uh, but the other thing I think this, this really shows is that um, the interesting thing, wasn't it? The team that outperformed our expectations was Ferrari getting second and they're the team with no updates and they're basically running the same car that they ran in testing. All the other teams have, have put all these updates on. Uh, they've gone quite aggressive uh, in the belief you know, that they need to stay ahead of each other. And in the end, it looked, I don't know, I haven't heard exactly from Red Bull, but it sounded and looked like a Honda engine issue. I don't know if anybody else heard any different. Uh, and they, they brought a new engine there. And then obviously Mercedes had the gearbox issue, which um, I'm surprised didn't come up in, in pre-season testing, but it's one of those things. So, uh, so yeah, the two teams which were really pushing hard on, on upgrades were the two teams that encountered uh, some worries in the race, uh, be it the actual issues that both Red Bulls had or the near issues that Mercedes had. Whereas Ferrari... Same old car from testing, you know, <laughs> just get the race right. And, hey, you know, we give Ferrari a lot of stick, but let's be honest. That's a they, nice way of putting it. They, yeah, well. <laughs> Nate used a different word when we were talking off camera. Yeah, um, I, I won't repeat it. But, um, but they got that race right today. Okay, Seb didn't, uh, but that was on Seb. Uh, but Leclerc uh, nailed the race and Ferrari nailed it for him as well, which we haven't seen for a long time where Ferrari really outperformed the package they have purely on race tactics. Yeah. Quite interesting, wasn't it, that, Given everything that's happened at Ferrari over the past few year, sorry, the past few months, it was Leclerc having this incredible race and Vettel just, just absolutely nothing. You know, yeah. funnily enough as well, the guy he collided with is the guy who's going to take his seat next year at Ferrari. And Lawrence said to me, you know, when when all the craziness was happening, I think there were thirteen cars in the race. It was just after the second safety car, and he said, well. Look, Vettel is still out of the points at this point, you know, and and at that point, you know, he you, you would have expected him to at least have been getting through the field, but he was just nowhere all weekend, and he finished tenth, based on guys going out, you know, in front of him and all that stuff. I think I think Fiat going out uh, promotes him into the points. So, yeah, strange weekend, but yeah, like Lawrence said, Ferrari deserve a lot of credit for getting that car in there because I wouldn't have put any money on them being on the podium ahead of the race at all. 
I suppose if we just stick up in with um, Ferrari and, you know, Sebastian Vettel, because I feel like a lot more was revealed, you know, this past weekend now that certain people like Matteo Benato have been doing interviews and whatnot. Seb as well coming out and saying that he actually just wasn't even offered a contract. So now everyone's thinking mentally where his head will be this season. Of course, you expect him to be the professional and still go out there and do his job. But I mean, just your thoughts on how the whole thing was absolutely handled. I thought he was done dirty. I'm just going to be honest with that. I mean, like I said, my ex broke up with me better and he sent that breakup email to my work email so and i think poor seb vettel was just not not far behind in your, feeling hurt your expertise but not to <laughs> no but no. it might but he might as well have been right because i mean just to hear his explanation that you know it was okay of course everyone was hit with the pandemic maybe financially speaking um seb may have been demanding a bit too much but they still didn't even ask him to take a pay cut as far as i'm no, concerned they- he came out and said I just didn't really get an offer, period. Yeah, they didn't offer him anything. And the more we've learned about the more we've heard that uh, the science deal was actually lined up a little way in advance as well. So, um, and, you know, the, the thing that's, um, I think, left a bit of a bitter taste as well is, is the way that uh, Mattia was parading Vettel up in front of the car launch and saying, mm. this is our number one guy for next year. You know, we, we want to talk to him first. And then for it all to transpire that that wasn't the case, um, it, does, it does look a bit strange. And, you know, it's... It's it's funny one the management at Ferrari at the moment because clearly the results aren't aren't there. Uh, I, when Mattia first took that job, I thought he was absolutely the right man for it—a cool engineer, um, going to get the job done, uh, going to sort out the team and kind of uh, pull it up. But the opposite has happened, which um, is a real surprise. And then we've heard you know these things, not least uh, the other teams and I think a lot of um, people in the paddock still wanting proper answers on what happened last year with the engine. Uh, you know, if all you have to do is join the dots and you get a fairly clear picture that, um, you know, something wasn't quite right with that engine. And um, and Ferrari refusing to talk about that as well, release any details on that. They claim because they'd be releasing IP, which is kind of understandable, intellectual property. That's what they spend their money on. But, um, you know, if, if they were really clean as a whistle, I'm sure uh, there would be ways of, of, of making that clear. And they haven't done that either. So, yeah, Ferrari rant. There we go. I managed to slip it. I, I was trying to be nice to them today. I was, was <laughs> complimenting on their race strategy, and, I, and you've led me down that road. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that the Vettel thing is, is very interesting. I actually thought he was going to come out and, uh, and be the best Vettel that we've seen for several years, and I was really hoping that would be the case, um, you know, because by the looks of it, this is going to be his last year in F1. Don't want to say that too soon, but uh, the options seem to be closing a bit. And um, I was really hoping he'd come out and prove everyone wrong and then maybe, you know, land mm-hmm. a seat, you know, somewhere else on the grid. But it doesn't really look like that at the moment. Lawrence, Lawrence Nade, rather, is that how you're seeing it as well? Because like I was saying, I was hoping we'd come out and see a, a good Seb Vettel. We were expecting, obviously, um, for face value, they would be professional about it. But it seems like there is stuff festering and we're only at the start of this season and that can definitely get even more and more toxic so and in the end I feel like it just won't look good on Sebastian Vettel because he's the one that's going to be without a seat next season yeah and what would have been fascinating obviously all the drivers had face masks on a weekend Mm. but we didn't really we didn't get a proper kind of look at Seb when he was asked a lot of these questions you could kind of see in his like he didn't look like a person who was happy answering the questions Mm. but it would have been fascinating because Vettel, I don't think, is actually somebody who really try to, you know, hides what he's thinking a lot of the time. Yeah. He might he might be cryptic in what he says, like any driver, but you can actually read him quite easily. And we didn't get a chance to see that. On the, I, I completely agree with what Lawrence said about the way they treated him. And if you compare Vettel with Alonso, um, who obviously was there were so many hopes attached to Alonso when he was at Ferrari, and the way Alonso used to treat Ferrari, you know, he'd always be out in the press. He'd just be, you know, he'd throw them under the bus any chance he got. 
he'd say, you know, he'd be like, I want to go to Red Bull. He'd be looking at Mercedes, all these things. Vettel, by con- comparison, has not had the cars he would have thought he would have had, he could have had, and has been pretty professional about it. He's at no point has he said this is Ferrari's fault. He's not thrown them under the bus. He's been, I think, he from a corporate point of view, if you were on their on their board, you'd say this guy's been fantastic, you know, as a, as a spokesperson for the team, and then to fire him like that. I think is outrageous, you know, to, to do that to someone who's been like this. So he must feel really bitter about it because I don't think he's been a bad ambassador for that team uh, in any way. And on the Mattia Bonotto uh, bit, my, my theory is... Not my ex-disclaimer, yeah. but might as well be. <laughs> my, my, my theory is that at some point in the last couple of years, J.J. Abrams and Mattia Bonotto switched around because J.J. Abrams' films have gone off the, off the oh. boil as well. So maybe those two guys somehow got switched over and they're now doing the wrong job, but they can't tell anyone. Maybe they're twins. Or maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe. Or maybe they're the same person. I've never seen them in the same room together. And JJ, you know, he's struggling with the demands of F1 and being a Hollywood director. Um, But no, joking aside, yeah, the way they treated Vettel was was outrageous. So this could be a a pretty long season for Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari, (laughs) given the car woes and then given the woes going on behind the scenes. But gosh, we, we hope we at least see, you know, one race that turns out in his favour. But I'd love to see Vettel win a race. Though. Yeah. This is the thing. And, and I always like seeing Ferrari win, but Vettel winning would be, it would it, it would almost make you question the decision if he won it in, in style. And we haven't, we haven't seen Vettel at his absolute best for quite a while. And mm. I think that it does make, like you said, that makes you wonder what's been going on behind the scenes. Well, I mean, let's get something straight though. I don't think Vettel deserves that Ferrari seat on the quality of his performances. You know, mm. there was at least a 2018 championship that went missing uh, because of Vettel's mistakes so I think Ferrari uh, were entirely entitled to um, end at the end of that contract but I think it was the way it happened mm. and uh, yeah, as I said the kind of um, you know saying that uh, he's our number one choice and then uh, they actually in the end blamed the uh, well didn't blame but they said one of the reasons for uh, not resigning Vettel was uh, the Covid pandemic and, uh, oh. and, and they changed the financial situation and stuff like that but I still don't fully understand how that sits because as far as Seb says he wasn't even offered a contract with a zero on it you know he wasn't offered anything so um yeah that that seemed like a strange one to me from this weekend but um yeah all stuff we're kind of learning about as the season goes on bubbling away in the background mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen less shade under a tree because <laughs> all I know is all of that sounds very shady but <laughs> let's move on hopefully we do definitely see Sebastian Vettel at least get one race it'll be nice you know especially for him immensely speaking because it just has not been I won't say his season, but last couple of seasons, um, to be fair. So a couple of other things as well happened that made it a nightmare day for certain people, including Danny Ricardo, who we also always love there. But, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, I believe, have a, had a crash too. Um, George Russell, a friend of the show as well, did not have a good day. So from all the other drama going on that we saw that made this race as juicy as it was, you know, what stood out to you guys and probably just your thoughts on it? Uh, George Russell, that was gutting. You know, he yeah. was he he didn't get a point last year, and it, he was running really strongly. Um, he had a pretty impressive weekend if you look at his pace compared to Latifi, and I think on the basis of that, you'd expect he's going to have a pretty good year. But yeah, when when he went out, it was just that like oh, I can't believe you know that that's Russell because he was I, th- I think when he went out, he was in the points. Is that right? Again, this is the thing I've forgotten. Some he of the was twelfth, I think. But considering everything that was going that's on, right. yeah. I haven't done the maths, but he may have he would have been there or thereabouts. Yeah. So that was. I actually think Danny Ricciardo's probably got a big smile on his face. You know, McLaren on the podium, and I, I don't think he's going to be. Uh, he'll be upset not to finish, but I think he'll be looking at that team and thinking that they're. Mm. It, even if you take Lando's podium out of it, I think McLaren had a really impressive weekend to be as good as they were. If Lando and Carlos had finished fifth and sixth, I think we'd still be like that. That's a really yeah. impressive result on pace. So I think he'll be 
quietly quite happy with you know the decision he's made, or at least feeling a little bit more vindicated. I, I feel a little bit for Racing Point. Uh, they didn't quite yeah. uh, realise their potential. And it was funny because we were watching the race and we were saying like, oh, go on, you know, it'd be yeah. great, great if McLaren gets ahead of the Racing Point because in our minds, the Racing Point has already become a top three team pretty mm. much uh, because Ferrari have had so many problems. And so, uh, yeah, that car really deserves to be a bit further up. And Perez had, a, I think, a speed in the pit lane. He got his penalty for five-second penalty, so that dropped him a tiny bit further. But, um, yeah, I... You know, I, but I think that car is good. So I think Racing Point will still have their day. And it was nice that uh, McLaren got up there. And it's nice to have that midfield battle as exciting, as, as close as it is, uh, because that should provide some entertainment throughout the year. And then, I mean, our last friend of the show, Roman Grosjean. Mm. <laughs> oh, I know. Again, someone that's had a day to forget. Thoughts there, guys? Yeah, well, the whole of Haas. Uh, oh. We've got Kevin. We've got Kevin on the show next I, week, and um, oh, um, I'm wondering, what kind does of he still want to come on after today? Yeah, I mean, they had a. I was going to say they had a. I said, didn't I? That would be the disappointment yeah. of the season, and that was. I think it. It didn't look good from the first week. I know that it was a pretty wild opening race, but there must be alarm bells going off there. Where's it I, falling short for well, you? Or where? Well, yeah. the, the, there's a connection between three teams all underperforming at the moment, and it's the Ferrari power unit. So, mm. um, which goes back to some of what I was talking about earlier. Uh, it seems very strange that all of a sudden Ferrari uh, had this investigation and settlement and now the engine uh, isn't performing in any of the cars. And, okay, if you look at the setup of those teams, I mean, Haas, I think, you know, after starting so strongly in F1 and now starting to come across, uh, you know, some issues with their with their business model, which essentially means taking as many off-the-shelf pieces from Ferrari as possible. Uh, so I think, you know, the more Ferrari struggle, the more Haas tends to struggle. Um, and then, uh, yeah, with Alfa Romeo, I think it's just a case of maybe they were actually punching a bit above their weight uh, at the start mm. of last year. Um, and maybe this is, is more of a normal place for them. But, um, yeah, all three of those teams didn't look like head pace at any point this year. Uh, sorry, this this weekend. And uh, a lot of that seemed to be missing uh, on the straight lines as well. So, yeah, it's um, I think I think that's the connection uh, in terms of Haas. It, this always seems to happen to the Haas team, doesn't it? There's always like a little problem here and there. And I, again, I don't know whether it's just because they're not a team of the size of some of the others where they produce so many of you know the parts in-house as the others and therefore they've got to kind of get it together and it takes a while to, to, to understand it all. But yeah, all the problems of last year, remember, brake issues, when was that? It was maybe two years ago, three mm-hmm. years ago. We were constantly talking about brake issues with Haas and it looked uh, to me an awful lot like they had uh, a number of brake issues this weekend as well. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hopefully they'll they'll get it back, and hopefully Kevin won't be in too bad a mood. When yeah, he goes we'll try and we'll try and not talk about the race. Maybe <laughs> yeah. talk about it. it. Sounds like he had a pretty good off season. Like he said, he built a built mm. a den for his niece and stuff. So maybe we'll right. talk more about that. So is it just same old same old stuff for us? Just a different day. Do you pick that theme to just continue for whatever kind of a season we have? I th- yeah, I mean, let's see what happens next week. Mm. Yeah, if they have another bad one, you would it would be hard to predict they're gonna step step forward. But um, yeah, like Lawrence said, there seem to be underlying issues with that car that you don't you don't necessarily fix overnight. It's not that you turn up a week later and if you were struggling with brakes the week before at the same circuit, you're suddenly like, oh, we know exactly what's going on. So yeah, it's not, sorry to anyone listening who's a big <laughs> house fan. Yeah. Big Debbie Downer, but it is yeah. what it is. And, and the, the rest of that midfield is so competitive, as yeah. we saw, that you know you really have to be at the top of your game and smaller some margins uh, you know, can send you to the back of the grid. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think uh, Haas are quite there yet. But you know, give, give them a few races, uh, see see what comes down the development uh kind of path although they're, they're not entirely sure what they're bringing yeah they haven't but committed to anything yet but then that's the thing I think with them it's going to have to be patience isn't it we have to wait and see like you say yeah. and yeah, hopefully they can get things sorted alright well shall we lighten the mood now and 
talk about Lando Norris finishing yeah, on that podium because I know we've been itching. I already did a hit with Nate talking about it, so we'll definitely waffle on about it in a bit. But Lawrence, I mean, come on, I, mean, I sat beside you too, and you're not as emotive as Nate and I, but you still, <laughs> well, and as prof- you do, he's, know, the professional one too, he's a professional one. We're the ones that just lost our professional hats, and we're like, yeah, Lando, <laughs> get in there. But I mean, it's such a good thing. You have a massive smile on your face now thinking of it. Just walk yeah. me through that race and what he did so well. Well, it was a funny one, actually, because as he admitted at one stage, he thought it was all going a bit wrong because he had Carlos Sainz all over the back of him through mm. turn five and six. And this was re- relatively late in the race as well. Uh, but he managed to steady the ship a bit and then kind of benefited from uh, the penalties coming in elsewhere mm. as well. And also, um, I think, you know, some good strategy by McLaren. They pitted him at the right time to give him the tyres to attack Perez towards the end. So um, it, it was a really well-managed race. And I think the thing that I always forget about Norris um, is how young he is as well. Uh, another one of the journalists, I haven't checked myself, but he uh, rolled out this stat in the press conference that he's the third youngest uh, F1 driver to st- uh, be on a podium and uh, he's the youngest ever British F1 driver to be on a podium. So that's pretty good going for that guy. And you know, and we he got overshadowed a bit by science last year but uh, mm. and everyone was kind of talking about science, but I was always thinking, well, you know, on pace, Norris always looked pretty good and the rest of it will tend to come. And results like this are going to build his confidence and um, I think, you know, he's a very good racer. I think he's, very very quick um so i i think it, it could come together for him uh, you know as the season goes on a bit and uh, wouldn't that be interesting if science mm-hmm. go into ferrari gets beaten by norris mm. over the course of a year um you know that would be that would be an interesting one i've said to you before haven't i that in f1 <coughs> being flavor of the month often is is the big yeah. thing and science and this isn't to take away from science you know last year had a fantastic finish so when he signed that ferrari deal he was very much the guy in the ascendancy but like lawrence says you have a few bad races suddenly and you're beaten by a very young teammate, suddenly people start saying, well, you know, is this guy as good as we thought he is? So that would be fascinating. Um, the Lando, the bit I was going to say about Lando was, I can't remember how much I, sp- I spoke about it earlier because everything was said about Lando just turned into a big blur. <laughs> but his, his move on Perez, I thought was fantastic, you know, just throwing it down the inside. And um, we spoke about it when we did a video hit just a second ago. But I think that shows a lot of confidence in himself uh, to go and do that. Shades of Daniel Ricciardo when he says, lick the, st- lick the stamp and send it. Just that kind of mindset of um, there's a gap there and I'm going to go for it. And a lot of other drivers might have held back in that situation. You know, I think that would have been a career best result for him either way had he not got past um, Perez. So, And then to set a fastest lap right at the end was amazing. You know, He was told you've got to get within five seconds of Lewis and then to do it. Yeah, impressive stuff. And um, it was, I, I just wanted someone to go and hug him at the end you know, because of all the bubbles yeah. that they're in. He, I think he got a hug from Zach Brown then he like, looked at all his mechanics who weren't like, oh. able to hug him. <laughs> And I just, I was like, someone, someone let him break the rules let and just hug someone, like, you know, yeah. let, and then they can, whatever. But I, yeah, was I was also a big fan of his champagne celebration yeah. at the end. He basically just stood there and poured it all over. He didn't know whether he was meant to spray it at the other drivers, <laughs> yeah. you know, could that potentially take some kind of virus across? So he just poured it on himself and then smashed it on the podium and it just went everywhere, uh, it, which, was, which was great to see. And then turned up in the press conference wearing that same mask that he had been wearing on the podium. And apparently uh, it's one of those kind of like fabric ones and it was sucked. Like suction onto his face <laughs> so he said like, I can barely breathe and all I can taste is champagne can somebody so someone had to bring him a new little face mask in to, uh, bad to, to allow to him to do yeah, champagne quite, soaked mask well yeah exactly Yeah, I, I wonder if he'll keep it as a little little memory like, has to a, a lot of the drivers keep the Pirelli hats that they get given for you know their mm. first podium and stuff like that so he'll have the unusual situation of having 
his first face mask on the podium, still smelling of champagne. And then just sticking with um, um, Lando, because this was something Nate and I slightly touched on as well in our quick um, video hit earlier on. But Lawrence, I definitely want to hear from you because I think it was you as well that had um, brought it up in one of our podcasts when we were just talking about, you know, Lando Norris and him coming off of his rookie year. And then you said it would be interesting probably next season to see how he has developed as a driver. Because, of course, we look at him as a young, kind of jovial person, just so happy to be here. And But now it's up another level once you make a podium because now people will start expecting things from you and bigger things from you and McLaren as well you know when certain regulations and everything comes in to try level the playing field so what you know what is this going to do for I suppose Lando's path and, and, and mindset from this and are you kind of seeing some of the from what you saw today I know it's still early but are you seeing some of the you know maturity and, and feistiness and bite that you kind of wanted to see in him a bit earlier than probably we would have expected yeah, I, I think so. Um, we have to be a little bit careful of what Nate, Nate just reminded me of, which is going down the flavour of the month thing. You exactly, know, it, it, yeah. You see one result and we get yeah. very excited. But um, but all the signs are that Norris has got uh, a, lot of, a lot of talent there. Um, the one thing that he really struggled with in F2 was managing the tyres and he went straight to F1. I always felt like it was too early because he didn't win F2. George Russell beat him to the championship. So I always felt maybe, you know, maybe Norris could have done with another year in F2. But he seems to have got his head a bit around that last year. And then this year was a very good performance in, in, in that regard. The other thing I'd say about Norris is that he's incredibly likable. Yeah. And uh, that goes an awful long way. If you think of Daniel Ricciardo, uh, and he is among everyone's favourite F1 drivers and, uh, and is a very talented driver as well, don't get me wrong. But um, certainly everyone kind of gives him a bit of a break sometimes when things go wrong because mm -hmm. he's such a likable character. And Norris has that going for him as well. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I certainly hope and I think, you know, he's got a very good career ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, everyone at McLaren says they're so much fun to work yeah. with those two guys. And I think that, again, you know, people are going to think I'm um, just taking shots at Alonso, but that team wasn't the happiest place to, a few years ago. You know, I think they had a kind of negative energy around it. And that wasn't mm -hmm. just Alonso, it was a lot of things with Honda as well. It just wasn't a very happy place. And um, you can see that, I mean, you can see how happy they were with the podium, but a lot of that comes from what they think of the guy as well. So, um, yeah, I agree with everything Lawrence said. All right, and then I suppose, you know, we're going to get ready to wrap things up. We've already lost Lawrence Edmondson because, like I said, you know, we're still running off the adrenaline, still lots of things going on from this first weekend. So Lawrence has to go and join a Christian Horner. I was going to say, clarify that we haven't lost him. He's not lost we in the building. Lost, we haven't lost him. We've just lost him in this podcast yeah. for now because he's got to go and double work. And I'm sure that Christian <laughs> Horner presser is going to be quite interesting because mm. it was not a happy day for him indeed. But, Lynette, I suppose let's just talk about since there was, we were, we have been talking about how we were going to see racing as we know it, but not as we know it this weekend. Now that we have seen it, you know, one of the big things was the Black Lives Matter movement and, of course, um, Formula One launching their support behind it um, uh, with the We Race As One initiative. There were so many questions as to, you know, whether they would take the knee as well as we have seen so many other um, sports person's doing as well. I mean, even I believe it was just Saturday they asked Lewis, and Lewis himself said, to be fair, he didn't know. We'll see on the day. Of course, he did. A couple of the other drivers did. Some didn't, including Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. Charles did come out um, beforehand and say he wasn't going to because he didn't believe in using, I suppose, controversial, you know, things like that or like statements, you know, physically. But that doesn't mean that he's not supporting the cause. And, you know, he has spoken out on it before. So just what were your, you know, thoughts on that? Yeah, it's 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 such a tough subject, you know, to because mm. it's so it's so emotive, and I think it's been it's been such an important couple of months globally for people having this conversation. And you're right. So there were six drivers: there was Verstappen, Leclerc, Raikkonen, Fiat, Science, and Giovinazzi who 
who didn't take the knee and the other 14 mm. drivers did. And like you say, it's important to say from the from the outset, they weren't, they didn't have to take it. You know, the, mm. obviously they're free to do whatever they want. So I think from from what we gather, obviously we've been doing everything virtually. We haven't been on location for this race, which would have made things easier in finding out some of the details of this story. But it seems that one of the things that I think drivers were maybe concerned about is the is what the gesture itself means, you know, what yeah. the kneeling gesture means. Is it how closely it's linked to Black Lives Matter? Is Black Lives Matter an organisation or is it a movement? You know, these, these are questions that a lot of people have. And I think that that seemed to be, you know, you've got 15 different nationalities represented on the F1 mm-hmm. grid. And so, whereas in the Premier League, you know, everybody it, is based in one country. They're all playing for one team. You have these people, these 20 guys who have come from all over the world. So I think getting people onto the same page in that sense was a bit more difficult. Um, but like you say, importantly, you know, they were all unified in, the, in yes. the message against racism. And I think that that is the key thing. They, uh, 19 of them had end racism on their shirt. Lewis had Black Lives Matter, which he's mm-hmm. also got on his race helmet. Um, it may, you know, it, it maybe didn't look as, as, as slick as if all 20 of them had taken the knee at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I think understanding why those guys didn't take the knee is, mm-hmm. is as important as, to, you know, as, as understanding why the guys um, did take the knee. I think... One thing that was interesting was um, speaking to Magnus on Saturday. I, I asked him um, if he was going to take the knee, and he said, I am, but I'm not taking it in support necessarily of Black Lives Matter as much as I'm doing it in support of the whole movement. So I yeah. think in different countries, I think maybe the, the kneeling has different connotations. So mm-hmm. very interesting, and you know, it's, it's an important message for Formula One. And, and, and at the very least, Formula One gave the drivers this platform to, to, to raise it. So, I mean, what did you think? Did you think it was an appropriate way for... For that to to have been done well i think i i definitely understand some of the stances that were taken because i know a lot of people even when the kneeling came in they were even for example me as a citizen not of the united states because obviously it had started with colin kaepernick taking the knee and it was you know in protest of i suppose the, the flag and the national anthem of either the united states in saying that basically the people in the states from what he had seen with the police brutality towards black people was not living up to what the anthem and the flag stood for. So it was very, I suppose, linked to the USA. And I can understand why people say like us who are not Americans probably wonder if we would do the same thing considering it started off as something for the United States, you know, and not necessarily directly linked with Black Lives Matter. Um, and I think that that's probably something that I saw, you know, judging by a couple of the statements from the drivers, they were, they were trying to wonder if that's what it was too because then they said, look, if I'm not American... Does that mean, you know, I should still do it? You know, I could still support it other ways. And I think that's kind of what, from what I gathered from Charles Leclerc's statement where he said that, you know, he didn't want to do a controversial gesture, which it has Mm. been, you know, because, of course, people in the States wondering if you're, you know, standing when we when you kneel it's basically like a diss to your own country and to the veterans and those people in the military that fight for your country and for you um so he was probably saying i can understand that it's a gesture that's clouded in some source of controversy so maybe he felt that if he did it he would get you know flack for it and that would basically cloud the movement and what he was trying to support which is why i thought he came out and said you know very well that I can support it in other ways in terms of, you know, Carlos Sainz as well. He pointed specifically to the sign on his shirt to do that. And like I said, it's it's their prerogative. They weren't forced to do it. I think just if a lot of them have been, most of them or majority of them have at least come out and whether on social media and stuff have done something to still show that they are part of this fight and, and get that inclusion. Um, I think that that 
for now, I definitely don't want to say it's enough because we, as I'm, a, I constantly keep saying that, you know, gestures and everything is nice, but you got to put some action towards it. And I think they're, who are we to say that they're not already? You know, they may probably be speaking behind the scenes with Lewis, who's been the number one pioneer for these uh, movements to find out how they could probably get involved in his initiative. So that's why I, I would not be quick to judge them on that, um, especially judging by their statements. But I think it was a nice, a very nice um gesture to see at least wearing the shirts and whatnot and, and getting behind and seeing, you know, the different helmets and whatnot. Like I know Valtteri Bottas had a very nice with all the, the hands kind of wrapped around with the different color hands um, on his helmet. So it was that to me was was something nice to see, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that it probably, you know, it, you could talk about it for two hours, you know, if, yeah. <laughs> if you've got all the guys as well to talk about it. And it, it's an interesting one because I hadn't considered I hadn't considered that different countries might see that gestured differently mm-hmm. you know and then as soon as someone said it i thought oh, okay like you say you know it's a yeah. very american thing so I, you know i it's easy to say what you'd have done in that situation but none of us are in that situation you know before the race so um yeah um exactly. it was a, the the principle behind the whole thing was the most important bit of that yeah i think just the continuous education and i suppose if you know you are putting action to your words and and they are actually working with the formula one initiative of of you know helping diversify the sports or even having those conversations with someone like Lewis, I think then that helps. And like I said, we don't know what's going on beyond, behind the scenes. We hope there is a lot going on behind the scenes to support this um, cause and initiative. So I suppose we could definitely just fingers crossed. And, and I'm pretty sure there are because they have like made some statements before, you know, on social media, like on Blackout Tuesday. So I, I'll, I'm willing to give them the benefits of the doubt, I suppose, in that moment. But another thing too, I guess, like I said, racing is back, not racing as we know it, uh, but it is still back. So I know we weren't physically there and you weren't physically there, even though we were itching to. Um, but what did you just make of the atmosphere and the new little protocols and everything? Of course, we made the comments of Lando and his champagne soaked mass that he was inhaling, basically. But what did you think of it? And as a member of the media, these now virtual presses and whatnot. Yeah, the virtual presses are weird and, and you know, they're still... Yes, teething problems with them. Occasionally, someone will leave their mic on or something. Um, but to be honest with you, it all once you got used to the weirdness of all of that stuff, it was fine. And actually, in a, I think Claire Williams interestingly said the same thing about um, Zoom and and the ability to raise your hand by pushing a button. Mm-hmm. It means that you know sometimes the conversations a lot because they say, okay, this person's got a question, this person's got a question. It becomes easier to to kind of, I guess, it, it, if there's a lot of people talking to one person to get your question in. But in terms of the actual racing side of it, I didn't really notice the fans not being there. I did mm-hmm. when, when Verstappen went out, a few people tweeted like, oh, you know, there's stunned silence at the Red Bull ring, you know, as a, as a joke. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think, in, in, and we've said this a few times, when Formula One, it doesn't make as big a difference. I think the only time you really noticed it was at the end when they had that weird kind of podium ceremony. You know, the weird little steps they were on was a bit yeah. strange. But at the same time, the whole, the whole world knows the world is completely different now than it was six months mm. ago so to, to to pretend that it was anything similar to what we knew before if they'd been on a big podium that's meant to be overlooking a big track for the fans i think it would have looked a bit strange it would have looked worse than what they actually did so i don't know at I least think, it was something they tried I, yeah i wonder i think i would have noticed it more if that race had been really boring there was so much going on on yeah. track that you ended up just completely ignoring anything in those last 30 laps you know you weren't like oh i can't hear the fans so exactly, this is yeah. the moment for me um yeah, I you know we like like we've said a few times we're still going crazy for Lando at the end and that was with without a grandstand full of people so 
It was a bit strange to get used to from our point of view. The, the the biggest FOMO I had was when all the cars were on the grid. That's yeah. one of the best parts of our job is to get on the grid before the race. And I'm always, whenever I'm there, I'm just blown away by being on the grid. Mm. And you could see it was quite quiet in comparison to there's usually VIPs, there's all sorts of people. Um, so yeah, that was that was strange seeing that. And it made me realise, you know, how good it is to be there. But yeah, it wasn't, wasn't too different. And um, hey, if all the races are that good. Yeah. No one's going to care, really, are they? So. Bring it on, indeed. Oh, my goodness. I mean, like I said, we could sit here and probably talk till next week about everything that we saw in details, but that's all the time that we do have for today. Nate's got to get back to work. I've also got to get back to work and somehow switch focus to football. Like I was saying, I usually do football, and I wasn't Football's even watching. Football's compared, compared to that, <laughs> yes. I didn't even watch a ball kicked today because I was just so glued to this race, and it definitely did not disappoint. Thanks so much, of course, to Nate for always being here, and Lawrence, and thank you to everyone who definitely been listening um we hope you tune in next week we hope it's going to be just as juicy of a race and you can definitely catch us here we'll be here back in office socially distanced and hopefully still fizzing for another edition of espn's formula one podcast 